sharing huge space. Look how fast he's going. Polar opposite to the conditions he won in Lords. Rain soaked Lords. They're getting the last step down. The crowd is roaring. He is going to do it. He's going to smash the time. Downhill racer and our expert here today, Andrew Needling. How's it? How we doing, folks? Welcome back. It's Andrew Needling, and I'll be your host. This is Moving the Needle podcast. Hey, if you're new to the show, thanks so much for downing this one. I hope you enjoy it. Let's move on to this week's episode. I try to drop them every other Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe and you won't miss anything. Well, it's none other than Sam Reynolds, good friend of mine. I was actually teammates with him, which you'll hear about. Well, he made it to the top of the slope style world. He was thrust into the world of action sports, free riding, lived a bit of a rock star life, I think, as a youngster. And he's transitioned away from slope style. He's moved to free ride. He's one of the most popular guys out there. He's very likable. We hear about things like winning best trick at Rampage, but also deciding that, you know what, he wasn't that comfortable and he pulled out of a Rampage as well. So I like to dig into the mental aspect of these riders, what makes them tick, and hopefully you at home and me, well, I can learn something. So without further ado, let's hear from Sam Reynolds. I must say I'm a big fan. I always listen to your podcast when I drive me digger. I drove me digger, quite, well, not my digger, but I've driven lots of diggers lately. So I've listened to literally every episode so far. Oh, I'm on it. I'm excited to get going. All right, folks. Well, he's known as Sam Reynolds. He's uh, one of the top free riders in the world and a founder of Darkfest, which is becoming ever popular and pretty mainstream, if you ask me. I've been lucky enough to be teammates with him. Lucky or unlucky, depends how you look at some of these things. But um, it's awesome to see where he's gone with his riding from top of slope style to now the top of this new genre of riding. And we'll get into Darkfest. Sam, how are you doing today? <laughs> Very good. Thanks, Needles. Thanks for having me. I um, actually forgot we were teammates, weren't we? Yeah, we were. Only for a year, though, right? No, a little bit longer, I think. It was two years? Maybe two. Yeah. yeah with, oh, that was good. With Polygon. It was yeah, some good was, old memories, hey? Yeah, it was. I'm not sure how much we're allowed to share, but we'll see. Um, I'm having my first virtual beer on a podcast because it's COVID, so it's not like we're going to see each other too soon, but you might make it out here, but we won't blow that news too soon. So cheers. Yeah. Okay, I'll crack mine as well then, shall I? Just for the listeners, Andrew's forcing me to drink afternoon beers with him. I mean, he didn't have to force me that hard, but cheers. Cheers, everyone. Cheers, Andy. Well, yeah, it's it's not like you haven't had a rubber arm all your life, especially some of those things you got up to in the MOD, which is some things we'll get into later. But, I mean, everyone knows you, obviously, from Instagram, YouTube. That's becoming very popular, but... For the listener that's maybe new to, say, listening to the podcast or their trail riding or, or not super into free ride, like where can they understand like where it started for you? Um, yeah, sure. So I first, first got into biking um, actually as a four-cross racer, um, which was kind of used to be a lot bigger than it, than it is now, didn't it? It was kind of, well, from I used to buy the magazines and they'd have like a page on the downhill results. They'd have a page on the dirt jump results and then they'd have a page on four cross. That kind of shows how big four cross was back, I don't know, 10 years ago, maybe 15 actually. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was like BMX was eight people in a gate and four cross was, was pretty damn fun, I think. It, it, they struggled to kind of figure out what the sport was it was four riders head to head so there was quite a lot of excitement but it was often kind of guys taking each other out and then the quickest back on their bike to the bottom which is good for the spectators but not always fair racing 
but yeah, but that's how I got into it anyway, just from a from a guy at school who raced four cross, and I think I saw his mountain bike in the sheds and uh, was like, oh, that's really cool. Like, and he was like, yeah, come come ride with us at the weekend, and uh, turned out, yeah, he raced the four cross national series. So, so I um I was pretty keen for that as well, and I didn't do terribly. I remember racing annoyingly a lot against um some little tiny kid called Danny Hart and um, some little kid as well called Bernard Kerr, and um. They were pretty fast, actually, then, too. <laughs> mm, actually, I think over Bernard, one, maybe one or two, uh, but never Danny Hart. And he was the year below me as well, so he was, like, extra small. So it was like, yeah, <laughs> he'd, uh, he'd actually smash everyone. He did go on to win a world downhill title, so you maybe don't need to feel too bad. Okay, well, that was why I was always, like, when we met and always seen your dirt jumping, and then we'd go trail riding, and I'm like, why are you keeping up with us? It's so annoying. Because you meant to be the free rider, Donald, but you came from a bit of a race background, so you've always enjoyed sort of finding speed on a bike and, and things like that. I guess it makes sense progressing into bigger jumps and speed that you need for this. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, well, I ride a lot of hardtails, and, and yeah, after four cross came came dirt jumping, which is kind of all the basic skills, I think. I mean, obviously, just getting through a set of jumps is a lot to do with pumping, carrying speed. Same with four cross and pump tracks as well. Um, well, I always enjoyed riding pump tracks, and I think those are all the most basic skills. And if you build on those skills, then you can you can kind of take them anywhere on a mountain bike, can't you? And then, yeah, downhill and trail riding, I found a lot later in the last sort of five years or so. But to be honest, the, it's the easiest, isn't it? Like a good old enduro or trail ride, um, or actually e-bike <laughs> e-bike rides. Now, I don't know how how your listeners feel about e-bikes, but um, yeah, I think they're pretty good actually. I love him. I mean, who knows? We can uh, get slated for it, but I just think it gets more people into biking. It gets us out riding more. So what's there yeah. really to hate? I mean, but speaking of that dirt jump, I was, so I've been riding with some guys that are into downhill, uh, enduro. They go to like enduro world series. And I mean, they're incredibly talented mountain bikers, but do you think that dirt jumping and what you spoke about, like that fundamental skill in a hardtail, do you think some of that's missed? I think some of the guys are not exposed to it and they just jump straight on a full suspension as like a 13 year old kid now because those bikes exist and they miss those like fundamental skills you get from learning to control a hard tail you know basically it's got front suspension but you pump it so hard you know you can't really get away with much yeah totally and I think kind of I guess you know it with, with, with uh, growing up with your brother and it's such a such an important part of getting into biking isn't it like you go to the woods on your hardtail you build some jumps and you and you try them and you make them better and you meet other people who come hang out in the woods and yeah I think like you said a lot of people are missing it there's well I mean obviously it's fantastic that there's all these amazing bike parks popping up all over the country in UK anyway and I think same in South Africa for you guys there's all these amazing flow trails being built which is great but it's almost put on a plate too easy for people nowadays like no one has to dig their own tracks or, or build their own jumps or or ride on a hardtail you're right so there's definitely a different kind of style um well although having said that there's a lot of guys out there still who who shred who race world cups who, who can do backflips and do dirt jumps which i think is really good to see i always um yeah always hyped when um, when i can see someone it's amazing the amount of people though who can ride unbelievably fast but then just can't jump. It's like when they come off the ground, they, 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 they forget what they're doing or they don't know what they're doing. So it's pretty weird, isn't it? I, th- I think you're right. You need to you need to spend some time on a hardtail, or I'd recommend spending some time on a hardtail to, to anyone who's looking to improve their skills, whether that is speed or even not, just fun. Like you, yeah, you learn so much on a hardtail, and I think you can take it anywhere. 
I think that's brilliant advice. I often say that to guys. I mean, it's definitely not going to hurt your riding. If you can control no. a hard tail or, you know, take a, as we call them, shitters down a hill, you can have a right <laughs> laugh. You know, like we yeah. started, I mean, you're younger than me, but you still started on bikes that weren't as good. I mean, everyone's spoiled now. It's great. The industry's like booming through COVID. Everyone's getting bikes. It's great. But um, yeah, I guess that's a period in me or, or showing my age where I'm like, you know, these guys have got it so easy. We used to go dig in the woods and earn our riding. You know, if we, we couldn't get an uplift, we'd be digging dirt jumps like you are in your YouTube series. I think that's just part of being old, isn't it? Complaining about the kids. But yeah, yeah, they got it easy, didn't they? <laughs> yeah, for sure. But I mean, you're still building. Obviously, you do your YouTube series and stuff, but that's pretty cool. You're still out in the woods digging and earn, earning that yeah. first hit on your new jump. I mean, that's probably pretty rewarding after like countless hours and editing and then you finally get to ride them. Oh, it means so much more. Yeah, if you turn up to a bike pack and there's a huge jump there and you whiz over it and you're like, cool, that was a massive jump. But if you spent hours in the woods building it, weeks even, building it, being scared, wondering if it's going to work or not, like, oh, is it too big? Is it too steep? Am I going to case it? Am I going to overshoot it? You sort of get a bit... Um, bit obsessed with it almost and then when you do jump it and if it is right it means so much more doesn't it and uh, and then you can ride it over and over again and um and still be excited then you can change it a bit more ride it again so yeah building has always been a huge part of it almost 50 50 compared with riding like half the half my excitement is building the jumps in the garden just because of building and then the other half is that i get to ride them one day with my friends but yeah i'm, I'm definitely not bored of building and it's been i don't know 15 years so far i'm well bored of uh, bored of building but maybe that's me being grumpy now yeah i guess so but um so, just need to build some bigger jumps then, don't you? I guess so. And uh, I, you forced me out of my comfort zone. You know, I retired for a few reasons. And one was not to have those sleepless nights. And uh, you brought me back to reality when uh, you snuck me into Darkfest to test a few of them. I say test, test for myself. You guys had already done all the crazy building and the hard work. So, yeah, it only took four years of solid banter and badgering. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, it was worth it come the end. It's the biggest year by far, and you just came straight in at the at the big ones. This is 2020, by the way, yeah. Yeah, they were by far the biggest. For full context, I was lucky enough to always have some other event or thing on during the same time. It just coincidentally did help with my excuse level, even though I would have found some other excuse. Let's be fair. I did have some yeah. valid ones, and I was like, ooh, yes, it's the same weekend as Darkfest. I can't be there to try and ride those insane jumps. Well, you do only live 20 minutes away, so it's kind of like, I don't know, it's almost harder for you to not come. Yeah. Half the time when, uh, I was out the country. Well, what, are you do, what are you doing in May? Oh, I'm busy in May, I think. Ah, oh, shame. I, I, I don't know. I, I didn't think there's anything going on in May. Yeah, <laughs> uh, pretty busy. When does this podcast come out? Yeah, that's a good, good point. Yeah, Dark Fest is happening in May, hopefully, if, um, if everyone hadn't guessed already. Well, here you can... You can hear it here first, and I'll try. Maybe we'll we'll launch this with your announcement. I'll try. Okay. Or it'll be yeah, later, it or whatever. Actually, make it. <laughs> if this is before the announcement, surprise. If it's surprise, afterwards, everyone. get more hyped. Dark yeah, Fist 2021 looks to be happening. You heard it here first or last. And Andrew's not busy as well, so he's coming too. Oh, for sure. The step up. I'll hit the step up again. But yeah, why so on any, earth? Any moves this year? Any tricks? I'll, I'll, I'll rather give you a trick, and this is not about me, this podcast is about you, and 
we're going to jump around, we're going to have a beer, we're going to have some fun. Why on earth the need to build a 90-foot jump? Why? 70 could have looked just as big. You could have parked a few buses in between. You could have just maybe faked the tape measure. Why does it need to be 30 meters? Why you got to do this to yourself? Um, it's 90 mm. foot. Just, it's just insane. To be honest, the actual honest answer is just that's how big the hill is. So that's how big the jump had to be. Like it would be nice if it was 70, but it wasn't. The hill, the hill was too big, so we we would have had too much speed. So we knew, like, and and big jumps like that are actually safer if you go full blast, like 100%, because there's nothing worse than overshooting a jump. Some goes and then coming up short, another goes, isn't it? So we just we like to build the big ones so that you go 100% as fast as you can go and then you just clear it because that's the safest way you can do it because like I said yeah then then you don't overshoot by accident every now and again if if you're not concentrating or if the wind changes or something so if you don't get it perfect you just you pull out and that's actually it sounds sounds crazy but that actually I think is the safest way we've come up with over the years because oh I hate overshooting jumps I don't like casing them either because I remember doing a few good ones of those Let's break that down because the listeners hearing you go, oh, it's way safer to hit 90 foot full pace. But for the listener at home, hitting any jump, having to break or, you know, scrub a bit of speed, it's very hard to judge how hard you've braked and what you're going last minute. It's, it's tough to make those adjustments. But if you know you've committed to a roller at a certain speed and you know you can go as fast as you can go is a pretty good speed, that's easier to gauge than... I think it's two taps and then you might get some draft from a guy and I think people go Google Dark first, go check the highlights. This 90-footer, I mean, the guys at the back are getting drafted, so they're actually going faster when they get up the lippers right as well. So there's a lot of insane subconscious calculations you guys are doing from from years of riding and it, it really blows me away. I mean, it's just so cool to see and, I mean, that's where the sport's got to. Where... At, at what point do you realize you've created a bit of a monster with Dark Fest and building some of the biggest bicycle jumps that have ever existed, which all the fans want to see, but now, like, how does that pressure feel when you're like, yep, we're going back there? Technically, we're going to change this course and make it bigger. What's that like? Yeah, well, like you said, yeah, now I've realized we've created the monster. and But I did also... Um, I don't mind saying that because I also thought the same thing four years ago when we made the first sort of um, dark fest over at Neisner and the jumps there were huge and we were like, oh, well, that's so scary. How do you make even bigger ones? And then somehow we managed to sort of get away with it and do it. And then same with last year, we, we made them bigger, bigger than ever and actually better and safer than ever. Um, I hope you'll agree. But yeah. So we sort of still learning every year. And I'm so, so interested in in the physics of everything. And um the science of like what makes a good jump and what makes it fun and what makes um, it good for tricks and uh, what makes it good for whips. And yeah, like how much speed do you carry down the hill? How much speed do you lose off, off a different jump or off a hip? So I've always been interested in that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, we try and we try and sort of bring all of that every year to make it a bit safer. So it's hopefully a bit less and less of a guess because um, obviously we know motocross jumps are massive, but they're kind of safer because they know that like, for example, I don't know if these are the right numbers, but if there's a 70-foot jump, they know they can go second gear, half throttle, brrr, and they just know the noise it makes. And they know if it's a 100-foot jump, they go third gear and, and do whatever. So we kind of 
we i think as mountain bikers we need to take it a bit next level which uh what we're actually trying to do as well we we write down the angle of every takeoff we write down um the speed that you come into the jump really um, you guys are making note of all this now and trying to mimic it yeah. at other courses and speeds and stuff yeah it's more well sea dog has the notebook but yeah we go around all the courses that we make so sort of dark fest and and audi nines mainly and um yeah measure the 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 takeoff angle the takeoff height the the gap the um the landing height and and yes then we just kind of need to get an accurate speed and then we're going to try and sort of put it into a bit of a uh, a bit of a formula i actually spoke with a few guys from a few professors and they and yeah they were like yeah for sure i think we can come up with a, some kind of magic algorithm that could like so if we if we could put in like the gap of the jump and and the steepness of the takeoff the height of the landing the height of the takeoff he was like yeah for sure i bet we could tell you the speed you need to hit that jump um super accurately so actually we're gonna we're gonna try that out at dark fest this year because i've um, I've worked with some stunt coordinators and obviously they have to plan all those sort of things so maybe there's a way get some of those guys if you don't have those guys out there we can maybe get linked up and see if they've got some formulas or yeah that'd be cool i mean it's quite like not not basic science but it's fairly basic science really there's only sort of pump which is quite a big variable but everything else I don't know, clever guys can work out, can't they? Like, we could eventually work it out. So I really want to sort of see, yeah, but like a few people, a few actual professors from some universities, like some lecturers have, have written like, yeah, that, I'd love to to help you out with that. Let's um, let's do it. So, yeah, we've got everything. We just don't have the exact speed measurements right now. So I'm definitely going to get some kind of like speedo for my bike at Darkfest this year and really record everything. And uh, yeah, then hopefully one day, then we can have this sort of yeah like i said magic magic formula that we can just build a jump and take out all the sort of pointless guessing because the most dangerous part of any course build or is is the first hit isn't it because you just don't know how fast to go you can guess you can spend weeks looking at it but at the end of the day when it comes to it you just have to send it don't you and sometimes you can go miles too deep or miles too short which i found out a few years ago and it would be nice to Obviously, it would never take out, you'd never be able to get it perfect, but it would take out at least you wouldn't go 10 meters too far and, and land completely flat or land in the middle of the gap completely. I think it would help just to sort of get you in the right ballpark at least, wouldn't it? So it wouldn't take all the danger out of it, but it would would make it a bit more, just a bit sort of nicer. It, 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 it sounds, I mean, I'm not testing any of those things. I'm old now, but it sounds like if you took some of those uncontrollable and those variables out and then you only worked with a few, like you say, like get the margin of error a lot smaller. So then maybe you're like, okay, worst case, I'm on the case pad and the worst case overshooting's like two meters over. But you guys built like that moon center that you did crash on at Darkfest. It's second last jump. If you're watching the highlight video, I'll link to all that stuff in the show notes because it's just great footage. Um, that thing was built so well. I mean, it was insane riding up to that for the listener at home. For me, I haven't jumped anything near that size ever. So maybe I can take you through that feeling is you're going as <laughs> you fast as... You literally put a house in the middle, couldn't you? Yeah, and you're going as fast as you want to go on a downhill bike into a bowl. And then you just look up and, and because you're going so fast and it's not the steepest takeoff, but because it's so high, it just looks like a brick wall. But the crazy thing is when you're riding up such a long takeoff, you're obviously going to physically lose speed. So when you get to the top of it, you're not going as fast as when you're in the bottom on the bomb hole. But you're obviously, when you're at the bottom, you're like, I'm about to hit a lip. You can't physically hit a lip this fast. I'm going to die. 
and it just yeah, it feels you, completely wrong doesn't yeah, it yeah you just it was in, an incredible feeling and i have to thank you guys for including me and give me a bit of a push off after retiring from racing and thinking that the danger was out of my life but i think you need that and when we met up in new zealand we like go to the the what are those jumps called the gorge the dream no? track aren't they the dream track and they brought some yeah. new ones and there's that like I don't know if listeners at home, I'm sure you guys get the butterflies if you're out on a trail and there's a new jump or there's something you're not quite sure you can do, you get those kind of butterflies. And I guess now you're progressing to the point that to get butterflies, the jumps have to be bigger than the year before. But who tests these things? Is it, hey, you built it, you shaped the lip, it's your turn? Or I've heard you guys pay paper, rock, scissors for it. What does it look like in general? Yeah, it's quite sort of different. So I always would, um, at Darkfest, I kind of took the responsibility and was like, okay, everyone's here because of me. So if someone's going to get hurt testing them, it's going to be me. So I, until until this year, or until 2020, so last year, I, yeah, did test everything, um, first of all. Actually, I think Sea Dog tried one or two as well. But it was kind of more like we'd built them, if you had a good feeling about it, like some jumps, I was not so worried about like, yeah, I feel that one. I think I know. I think I know how it's going to be. I think I know how it's going to feel. I think I know how fast to go. And yeah, sometimes Sea Dog was like, well, I don't know. That one looks a bit, a bit scary. And sometimes the other way around. So if he was like, okay, I'm really feeling this one, and I wasn't, then I'd be like, okay, do you want to, do you want to go? And he'd be like, yeah, okay. And same with the other way around. So now it's a bit sort of a bit less, a bit less one-sided. But yeah, until then, I tested everything because I felt responsible. Um, but yeah, yeah, now he shares a bit with me. That's proper. Then, I mean, yeah, you're at the front line there just doing it all for the boys. That's that's pretty big pressure on your shoulders to kind of force yourself to do that, man. And it did co- it did go all wrong uh, two years ago, right? 2019, yeah, that was so, uh, yeah, I tested everything until then. And then, yeah, got it really wrong. But we actually built the first version of the jump, um, which is now called the rocket launcher, that big one out of the bowl that you were explaining. But it's actually a little bit smaller. And this comes back to where... I was saying, like, if you're not going full speed, I don't think it's safe. And that was, you had to do a couple brake taps into that. And, um, yeah, obviously, once the jump gets ridden in, it starts to speed up as well. So we knew that was going to get a bit worse. So we made the jump way bigger. Well, we made it longer, we made it taller, and we made it steeper all in one go, which is probably not the best idea. And, um, yeah, because we had so much speed into there, I was still worried about going deep because the, the mountain there sort of drops away. So if you did a big overshoot, all I had in my mind was, um, I don't know if you guys have seen, but G. Atherton once jumped a, uh, the, a snow the, jump. At White Style. Or, no, it wasn't at White Style, but he overjumped no, a just, snow jump. Yeah, it was just a snowboard jump, yeah, and he landed like, he missed the whole landing because the, the mountain just disappeared away. And so he would like sent it miles and he completely died. And uh, that sort of was in my head like, oh, I don't need to go too fast. So if there's one of the two, I'd rather go too slow. Um, so I did come in a little bit apprehensive and, uh, yeah, got it completely wrong and it fired me. We made it way too steep basically and fired me so steep in the air and I just hit the back of the landing. I came a good, a good two or three meters short. And, um, yeah, from then, obviously this year we rebuilt it and, um, I was super scared obviously because that sort of put me out. Um, that was the most painful injury I've ever had and and probably the worst one as well. Is that one worse than your... Uh, back the back you when you broke your back with a double flip in Les Duel. Yeah, Pain this one wise, was yeah. worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd say definitely with, with confidence this was worse. Oh, it's horrible. What what was it like? I mean, I was you know 
even though I'm there in person or I see you and you do it and you're all confident and like you obviously have to put on a brave face. But I mean, what's like the night before you're like, okay, we're doing this jump again last year. Like, do you sleep at all or are you just like thinking and tossing and turning? Yeah, well, this year was different. Like I said, normally we, we were obviously always nervous about trying a, a new massive jump. You're even nervous about trying a, a small new jump, aren't you? Because you just want it to work and, and you don't want to crash. So then everything's multiplied when it's big, when there's, there's real, comf- real consequences. Um, but yeah, everything was going quite well. And we'd done quite a few years, like I said, without any hiccups. And yeah, obviously, if you kind of guessing and you get it right every time, confidence starts to massively build so confidence was like such an all-time high so I wasn't even worried about trying that one I was just like oh quick it's it's getting dark I'll just whip my pads on and quickly launch that Uh, but kind of some of that was like so I wasn't scared about it because if if you you're like okay I'm gonna do it tomorrow then you've got all night to think about it haven't you so sometimes I quite like to just be like right now's the time let's just do it like 100% and you're just like I hope my body takes over and figures it out huh exactly yeah and it didn't that time oh, <laughs> yeah <shit. laughs> i hit the back of the landing and uh, my, my arm turned into a swan's neck shape and um and yeah that was that but then yeah so the next year like i was really just even returning back to the same place like all i could remember was was being injured and how horrible it was and and how horrible all the all the painkillers and all the drugs that I had to be on so i was like super dizzy for the whole week the last time i'd been at that spot so that's all i could kind of remember remember all the bad bits about it and uh, yeah when it came to i actually tested the the whole line down to there and then i was at that jump and and sea dog was there as well and he could like see i was i was not really not too happy about it so he was like right do you want me to do this one so i was like yeah please actually if you could test this jump that would be amazing and uh and yeah, he dropped in and sent it and it was the biggest jump ever. And he did it perfect as well. So yeah, he's super confident, actually. He's one of the most uh, mentally strong, impressive riders I've ever seen. I think if he ever gets the chance to prove himself at Rampage, um, I think he'd be, he'd be pretty damn good there. He's just so calculated. He can sort of put fear to the back of his mind and just think about it logically, which is something I, I, I try and do as well. Try and take the fear out of it and just think about it logically. And then usually it would work. Were you, in your younger years, it was not what you've just described, right? No, far from. <laughs> like, to a point... Just go for it and see what happens. What, I've heard you speak about it, I've seen it, so now let's maybe go back in time to your younger years of free ride. It was rock and roll, you would get... You, you, you made it into the Dirt Jump world in the UK, and you started getting overseas and getting results to catch the listener up. And then you get invited to something called the Masters of Dirt, which is a basically a big, crazy show all over Europe with motocross, bicycles and people. And uh, I'm trying to give a nice word to some of the ladies that are there showing off the their fuel bits girls. You fuel, mean fuel girls? Yeah, they're just they're lovely. They are. Yeah, of course. But I was going to call them cheerleaders or like pom-pom, but they're uh, like... But yeah, they breathe fire in their bikinis and stuff. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. They are breathing fire and in in skint bikinis and stuff. And it's you must feel like a bit of a rock star at a young age getting thrown into that and the crowd going crazy for you. So speak to a bit of maybe what you've learned from being a youngster (laughs) just thrown into like... I mean, freeride action sports is... Pretty rock and roll. I mean, you're made to feel like it. Oh, it is. You've got to, haven't you? Yeah, you've got to enjoy it. Like, it is fun and it is cool and it's all 
down to your own interpretation. And, and as a young 18-year-old, um, yeah, I went straight from um, doing a couple contests, doing okay, then straight into these, yeah, we've done 30,000 people shows um, in a big football stadiums, which is amazing. Um, I actually did a streak in that as well. <laughs> you have a little bit of a streak in the, you to streak. I know that's yeah, one of your which, passions yeah, I, and pastimes. I do like streaking. It's funny. Um, <laughs> anyone that doesn't find streaking funny, I, I don't know. I don't know what they're thinking. But anyway, <laughs> I think back it is on, quite back funny. Topic, I can't even remember what we're talking about. I just got streaking. excited for streaking again. Well, no, tell so, us yeah, about your biggest streak. The deep end. <laughs> The biggest streak. Okay, we'll do that quickly. Yeah. So it was at this biggest stadium we'd ever done. It's thirty thousand people, and I was just like, oh man. We had um we had like a, a, a competition going at the time. It was actually me and McDuff. I think we talked about this on his, his podcast a bit too, and uh, yeah, we tried to one up each other's streak. Yeah. For the listener, you've got to go check out Matt McDuff's podcast. We we share uh, well not share notes, but I was like, okay. Let me check what these two are up to and make sure I don't ask the same questions. But some stories are just too good. But I don't remember the streak in one, but give it to me. Yeah, maybe maybe just, um, yeah, so we, we kind of like, we just did streaks. We thought it was funny, like making people scream when you ran past naked and we'd like video ourselves, like selfie style. And uh, yeah, it got to the point where, where we're having like competitions of who could one up each other's streak. Um, there are actually a few other boys in, in the chat as well who are good at streaking. Um, I think Nikolai is also one of them. <laughs> um, and yeah, so it's getting quite serious rocket streaking. And then suddenly we were in um, in this thirty thousand people stadium, and it was completely full. And then um, the 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 boss master of the Georgie, he went out and he does this like sort of speech to thank everyone at halftime for for coming in. And I was just like, you know what? Now is my opportunity. If I don't do it now, I'll, I'll never get another chance again. Um, but I had actually talked to Georgie before the show, and he said, um, "Okay, yeah, there's, there's kids. Like, if you're going to do a streak, just put some tape on your on your piece or something." So I had to, uh, so I had to put a sock over it. And um, yeah, when he was doing his speech, I ran out in front of thirty thousand people, and um, that was the biggest laugh I'd ever heard. It was so funny. <laughs> and it was I did quite a an adrenaline rush. Oh yeah, massive one, and um, I got the video. Maybe I can. Sh- it's actually on Instagram, I think. If um, yeah, I can share the, it, give me, give me the hard file, something. and we'll give the audio version of the streak. <laughs> yeah, I said it to you, and just and then I did a cartwheel, and then there was a Harley Davidson in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the track, and I sat on that and pretended to rev it up, and uh, and then I ran off, and then the security chased me, and it was like all dreams coming true in one uh, in one moment. And uh, <laughs> and you how old? Like nineteen or whatever, or. T- Probably a bit more, probably 23, 24. Yeah. I don't really know. But I did Master of Dirt from when I was 18, like you were so saying. You were yeah, thrown so in, in. yeah, so you were thrown into that. I mean, that's like a rock concert, you know, like full stadium, music blaring, girls yeah, shooting fire out their mouths, streaking, people just adoring you. I mean, yeah. how do you not think you're a rock star? I mean, yeah, I don't and all blame the freestyle motocross guys had they got paid big money to do those shows too. So they had like fancy cars and they'd go into the bars and they'd buy huge bottles of vodka and just just down them like yeah, it was straight in at the deep end. I couldn't believe it. And um that definitely shaped um I guess maybe a bit of my personality because it was just sort of yeah, don't take it too seriously and um go out there and have some fun, like not 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 much really matters to be honest. Um and also my riding style too. I, I used to think those guys were were epic. Like so I'd I'd copy their big sort of Superman style tricks and like backflip um yeah kind of moto stuff, big whips. I always enjoyed that that's why I've never really been much of like a technical bar spinny sort of tail whippy guy. Um 
yeah, everything was shaped from, from those early days when I thought those guys were amazing. So some of the moto guys inspired you. That makes sense if you're now into like, you know, free ride and, and building these big jumps and, and really getting known for that. that yeah, completely. Sense. Yeah, well, we take a lot of, um, that's, that's why mountain biking, I think, is, um, is just the coolest and why I think um, none of us have really got bored because you can take so much influence from BMX and from motocross. You can take like BMX technical side and then the motocross big air and speed side and sort of mountain bike, you can just mix them all together. Whereas sort of BMX, you can't really go quite as big as a motocross bike and, and on a BMX, you can't really do sort of you can't bask in a motocross bike can you but mountain bike is is sort of an amazing halfway between kind of sport and that's why i think um i've not got bored of it yet i'm still still learning new tricks and having fun every day actually that makes sense eh? it is because like bmx is bicycle motocross or whatever they coined it back in the day but i think mountain bikes is bicycle motocross more in a sense yeah. yeah and we do inspire to be motocross guys and you know us downhillers that I did it was like the kit and 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 the free ride and stuff like that um is it true that you might have sunk a buggy on a frozen lake at one of these <laughs> one of these events and uh, now yeah, okay before you get into you know pushing your name a bit into dirt let's remember Sam was between 18 and 23 living an awesome fun life and i mean fun happens and you have turned into a very upstanding guy and we'll get to some of your accomplishments off the bike so yeah i'm not i'm not promoting breaking things but sometimes fun goes wrong yeah and then sometimes you get rewarded for doing stuff wrong which sort of this story will uh, will tell you so yeah we uh, so the fuel girls actually had this buggy which they would um, it was kind of like a I guess what like a Polaris or a Razor buggy would be now but it was homemade it was like a Volkswagen buggy I think and it had like a a flamethrower on the roof so they'd like drive in one of the girls would drive it into the motocross shows and they could do donuts at half time and then they'd like breathe fire on the roof and fire t-shirts out to the crowd and it was all pretty cool and um obviously I was like 18 or 19 I was like oh my god a cool toy like can I please go in it and uh, they were like yeah so actually me and Yannick um Yannick Granieri my older uh, our old teammate he um he well he well I drove it around for a bit then he got in it and uh, it, we were in Austria in, uh, where were we? I think we were in Graz, in, uh, which is a big city in, in, in Austria, in sort of February time. So obviously it's really cold. And uh, there's like a big lake there, which, uh, which had frozen over. It's like a sort of wakeboarding, sort of sports fun lake in the summer. But yeah, it's completely frozen over. So Yannick was like, oh my God, we should drive on there. And I was like, yeah, I don't know if we should, but okay, we're going to do that by the looks of things. And then, yeah, he like asked the guy, he's like, yeah, can we drive it on the lake? And, and the guy that owned it was like, oh, yeah, that'd be well good. That'd be cool. And I was like, okay, can you just take my phone just in case? Yeah. So I was 19, so that was the most expensive thing I owned. I was like, yeah, can you just take this just in case? And I'm going to take my seatbelt off as well, just in case. And that turned out to be a very, very good decision because as we drove out onto the frozen lake, Yannick sort of started to do a donut and the wheel spin kind of like broke through the ice. <laughs> and then off we went under the ice. The, the buggy sunk. And um, I was quite sort of 
not ready for it, but I was like quite aware that that could happen. So I shot up. Luckily, it didn't have a roof. It had like a roll cage. So I shot out the roof like you've never seen anything so fast in your life, managed to jump out. And my legs got in the water. And Yannick was a bit slower, but he still managed to get out. I think he got like water up to his chest as we like crawled out over the side onto the frozen lake. And yeah, w- within three seconds, the buggy was completely gone. Forever. Underneath the lake. It's gone. Forever. Uh, it, was, it was on the bottom of the lake and the lake was obviously more than a car depth because yeah it disappeared and just bubbles came up like a cartoon <laughs> so we kind of didn't really know what to do obviously screamed with laughter for a little bit and then we were like oh my god we're in so much trouble oh my god oh my god oh my god and then uh, yeah so we we uh, and quite a few people came out to watch actually so everyone sort of didn't really know what to do or say um and yeah the guy the promoter of the event who kind of I don't know if he owned the lake or he owned the sort of sports park that all of this was in uh, or something, but he was at least something to do with it and that uh, he was very, very cross. And George was like, okay, just don't even go close to him. Go back to your hotel room. Don't talk to him. And so we like ran off super with our tails between our legs. Um, and the fire brigade came. They had to um, send divers, like scuba divers, to go under the ice lake with like a tow, with a tow thing on the front of the uh, of the fire truck, which was parked at the side. They had to like scuba around under there for like half an hour, clip it on, and then the winch winch it out like out the side of the lake. Oh, so they <laughs> it got it out. out there. So they did get it out, yeah. Um, but then the guy was very cross. Um, you think? <laughs> we know the guy was very cross. But then the next morning, the um, the, obviously, this caused quite some hoo-ha in the town and, and um, some photos and a full story had made it onto the front page of uh, their biggest local newspaper um, of the buggy sort of on the ice and then sinking in, like somehow they'd got hold of the video. And um, I don't know, the guys, clearly the Austrians sort of enjoyed that and thought it was so crazy that the next night they booked out the whole show and uh, so the promoter was suddenly not that cross anymore and they're always forgiven. So no, what's it? Bad press is good press. So what is it? No press is bad press. Yeah. Well, no coverage is bad, bad coverage. Bad press is still good press. I don't know what it is. We'll ask Donald Trump or something. We'll yeah, give it, true. We'll, we'll give, him it a, give him a tweet. Well, I mean, it's meant to be harmless fun, and sometimes harmless fun goes wrong. It is, it's a weird... I have thought about it. Like, Do you think at some point, like, you, you have come from very good upbringing and, and did pretty decent in school, and some of us do, some of us don't, like... But there seems to be some form of like a little bit of a screw loose or, you know, you're seeking that adrenaline kick or that excitement or that blow off some steam after so much pressure. I mean, yes, these master dirt shows are cool, but you have to go and send some of your biggest tricks. There's risk of getting hurt. And at some point, is there a little bit of like you could have got hurt and you're so good to be? I mean, I don't know where I'm going, but I just think there's a little bit of a screw loose in some of the action sports stars that you do let your hair down pretty hard after you've performed or achieved some of these things you've been working towards. Oh, yeah, it ramps it up like five to ten times, doesn't it? Like, I like a good party as much as the next guy, but it's not like what I'm all about. Like, I don't absolutely love it. But after a good event, like you said, and the more dangerous it gets, like, um, well, the, the Rampage after party, for example, is absolutely insane. The Dark Fest after party is insane. Loose Fest after party. Crankworks Whistler is one of the craziest ones ever. But like you said, it's because the huge pressure that you sort of, it's a horrible week, isn't it? You, you know, from racing World Cups, like the week leading up to, to a big event is actually 
usually terrible like you're always nervous you don't know what's going to happen like you you think of all the bad things that can happen all the pressure you know your sponsors have paid for you to be there and um yeah dark fest for me as well i know i've spent sort of five weeks building these jumps i hope everyone enjoys them um whether that's the riders and the people who watch it at home because that's what it's the whole thing is for really so there's so much pressure on you for all that time leading up it's such a it's such a blow-off when it goes well or even if it doesn't go well i remember doing like bad at contests and that makes you want to sort of party just as hard doesn't it because you're like annoyed um and then it makes you want to go home after that and and train extra hard but yeah it's the same with the downhill boys I, I know i've been to some of your parties on a on a sunday night or whatever it is and they're they're huge aren't they they sort of they make you get ramped up and it's just blowing off steam isn't it like dealing with pressure is hard and so yeah you, you feel like you've deserved it afterwards and um that was the same with those big shows. You you get so jacked up if like 10, 20,000 people are watching you, you've done something a bit dangerous, you could have got hurt and you didn't and it was amazing and you're just living it to the max and then, yeah, the the, the, the quickest thing and best thing to do is go out to the bar with, with everyone and everyone's feeling the same and, and you get pretty hammered, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I have spoken about it with some guys. I think, and I, and I, I spoke about it with Deeks and I, I don't compare any of us to people that, that are on the front lines or something like that, but you go through similar experiences where you could get hurt or some of you got hurt, so you're bonded through that. And then you kind of oh, want to let off some steam and kind of detract from that reality was, when you come to Darkfest, it's three, four weeks of building, it's 36 degrees, people don't see that. They see the highlights videos and the Insta clips of you testing the jumps. But I've been there with you guys. It's, you know, it's 6 a.m. wake up, get in the diggers, you know, work till two, maybe have lunch and then come in the afternoon um, for three weeks on end with a bit of riding. And then suddenly you've got to ride these things, but you've been sitting in a digger for three weeks. No one sees that, that work, that pressure. Um, but another thing that was fascinating, you guys spoke about it. When you're younger and uh, you're trying to progress the sport, do you think you get a bit deluded and feel like indestructible? I mean, I've heard you guys say, oh, I was ready to get hurt or, or whatever happened, oh, happened. Yeah. I'm going to land this trick. Speak to that a bit. That's it. Well, I don't know if it's sort of when you're growing up and, and you've got a big point to prove, haven't you? And maybe you sort of, well, you're just finding out who you are and you don't have any money and you, you can see some huge prize money and you can see all your heroes and favorite riders who, who have made it with, I don't know, with nice cars or nice trucks and nice bike sponsors and what looks like the, an amazing life. So you, you put such like a, a big thing around it, don't you? Like, okay, everything I want. And, and for me, that was like a, to win a big, big dirt jump or free ride contest. Like, I don't know, like, um, what's it called? District ride. I used to watch that one and be like, Oh, amazing like they've got like 10 grand prize money like imagine how many sweets i could buy with 10 grand probably <laughs> was what i was thinking at the time and um yes yeah, so you put so much like you think well you you think it but it is your reality like you put like, all i'd want to do is go learn a tail whip or something because i thought maybe that would be my my ticket to i don't know to winning this big contest and maybe my ticket to the good life so you, you like i was willing to get hurt i was willing to try for hours and hours and hours to to try this trick um but I, but I also loved it as well i loved learning a new trick and and we had like a good group of friends that that would we'd compete against each other and yeah learning a trick was all we'd talk about all week and then building a new jump and trying it was all we'd all we'd do all weekend and and yeah as you get older you, you definitely start to see it a bit more a bit more for what it is and um you definitely don't want to risk your life quite so much these days but then, then there still is 
that little bit down deep inside as well. I think you never really lose it, do you? Like, well, you riding dark fest and yeah, same. If if you get like if you get your special meter up, I like to call it like, special you know, you meter. Play, you know, when you play on the PlayStation, like Tony <laughs> yeah, Box yeah. or whatever, you'd have to do five or six good tricks to get your special bar up high, and then you'd unlock, like, the super tricks. It's kind of a bit like that in real life. Like, you do a few small tricks, your excitement gets growing, you land a few good ones, you're feeling good, and then you're like, right, now time to move on to the big ones. So you get your special meter up, and then you can send it. And, yeah, that's still definitely inside all of us. I think, isn't it? You don't get rid of that, do you? You, you think you're you born with have- it? Maybe, I don't know. Like that urge to push yourself or just feel uncomfortable. Maybe. I think maybe, yeah. And it's just like achieving something that you didn't know that you could do. It's like the unknown, like jumping into the unknown. Like, oh, if I try and tear up this jump, like I could could smash myself so hard. Or I could land it. Like, who knows? Let's try and find out. And then when you do it, it's amazing because you know what could have happened either way. The perfect storm of of achieving something that could get you hurt or you think you couldn't, and when you push through the the fear of, like you push that aside, like you stop thinking about getting hurt. You're just like, okay, what do I need to do? Okay, I've almost got it. And you see it when you guys land those tricks for the first time, and you're so pumped, and all your friends are pumped. It it it's an addicting feeling, and I guess with age, it seems like you've got to be aware of that, like the dangers of it. And you've spoken to Matt. I mean, you try to talk Matt out of his loop of doom. Yeah, I did a little bit, actually. It's crazy how deluded he was. And he's admitted that. He's come so far. It's so good speaking to Matt and seeing the journey he's on. And he was on, like, the far side of what we're speaking to. You know, there's, like, a happy medium. There's, like, people that just can't go through life without maybe doing something to progress the sport like that's their fulfillment they get from it and then yeah you got you got to find the sweet spot haven't you there's some lunatics who will learn tricks really fast but they won't last long like they'll be a bit too injured or like yeah they, they sort of yeah they'll blow out and 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 then there's the guys who are super good and super safe that would never quite do that breakthrough trick. So you kind of need to find a sweet spot in the middle, don't you? You've you got to say, I guess, same with downhill racing too, isn't it? Like, I guess there's some gaps on the course that are super dangerous and you don't want to do every single gap on the course. To, but if you did, you could win. So maybe someone crazy could somehow pull a, pull a big win out the bag doing some crazy lines. And whereas yeah. the guy who's super safe and consistent will always do well, but maybe he wouldn't ever win. You kind of need the rider in the middle somewhere. You need a bit of a screw loose, and then you also need a bit sort of a bit a bit of thinking as well. It's the same with same with slope style these days as well. Gone are the days where where you could sort of turn up, absolutely send it, and maybe you'd get to the bottom and win. These days, those guys are training super hard, aren't they? And and they're they're so much above the level. I think even at what I used to compete at, which was only only sort of four four years ago. Yeah, there's a lot of strategy. So speak to that. So you went through the dirt jump, you went through the crazy phase of surviving <laughs> Masters of Dirt and not becoming... Oh, I still am going to go back to Masters of Dirt, by the way, when they when they open up in 2022. Yeah, you didn't get sucked into that lifestyle and, uh, you know, blow it all on other things, but... You, <laughs> on other you, stuff. You did, you did start competing to a high level, pushing yourself... Um, you you pushed yourself to learn double backflips, one of the early adopters of that trick. What what was it like getting to the point where the pressure and the disappointment was kind of overriding the excitement or motivation to be at those events? Because I mean that was your identity, and and you reached a high level in slope style. Yeah, well, I can actually tell you exactly when the craziness ended. Uh, well, not ended, but like when when I went from 
knowing I was invincible and I could do anything was Leder's out when I did break my back. Um, so yeah, the double backflip was kind of around sort of 2011, 2012 was pretty new, wasn't it? I, I don't know when the first one was, but I think it wasn't much before, wasn't many Who years did before the first then. One? Was it Le Condigui had one in the bag? He was I don't one he of was the first. first ones, but I think the first one was either Greg Watts or is it Alex Pro or Alex Ravella or something? But they, it was one of those, one of those three. I think it was Greg Watts. Let's look um, it up because they they deserve some credit for sure. We'll, we'll yeah, try okay, but it was one. I think Andre out. was maybe the third guy, um, or fourth guy. But he was the first one that kind of brought it into contest, didn't he? And and of course he did really well. And I kind of saw that. And like I'd done a few into the foam pits. And to be honest, a double flip is actually not too technical. It's actually not a very difficult trick. It's just huge consequence. Um, yes, so that's why yes. people don't normally do that. Um, but like something like, I don't know, a 720, for example, is is much more difficult, um, but less dangerous. So double flip scores really good. But I kind of had worked out that actually in terms of how hard it was, it was a really high scoring trick. So I really learned how to do it. And I do one pretty much every session so that I could take it to the contest. Oh, you were practicing and, um, these things away, hey? And you, I mean, yeah, practice makes perfect. Okay. Yeah. Just actually in a, in a foam pit at the skate park, there's only one at Corby that, that was uh, big enough to do it. And so we had to drive all the way there and go practice it. And, um, uh, yeah, eventually took it to dirt, but, and yeah, got some, got some good scores with that and, and did really well for a good couple of years. Um, until it got to the point at Le Desert where there was actually a best trick contest um, the night before slope style and it was super windy and no one could really care because the course was actually terrible and horrible and the jumps were jumps were, were rubbish and um, it was me and Martin Söderström we were at the top and because uh, they just announced yeah it was best trick and it was quite good prize money I think quite a few thousand euros so we both went up there and um, it was just me and him sat there and it was windy there's a big crowd and we were like right I knew he was going to triple tail it because that was his big trick at the yeah. time. And he was going to double flip. And he was kind of like, oh, I don't really feel like doing a triple tail. Are you going to double flip? Because if you are, then I'm not even going to bother. Like, you can just have the best trick. And I was like, yeah, cool. I'm actually not even going to ride this jump. I'm just going to double flip right now. <laughs> I didn't even, you chirped him I didn't that. even do a test jump. No. And because uh, I was like, yeah, because we actually... That was the height of the craziness. We, In we hindsight, how cocky is that? Looking back at that, yeah, and like not to, like it's definitely not cool. But we did party every single day as well, like leading up to that. So it literally was just our thoughts were like, right, it doesn't matter who wins this because then we can just go to the bar and whoever wins is going to buy loads of drinks and it's going to be we'll just continue going and then um, and that'll be that. So I was like, all right, I'll take this one for the team. I'll I'll pop a quick <laughs> double flip. And then I'll see you in the bar, literally at the bottom. Like I probably wouldn't have even stopped. I would have just carried on rolling down the mountain straight to the bar. And um, yeah, double flips were quite easy for me at the time, but it just shows how risky they actually are. And it was just super windy. And um, yeah, I hadn't even hit the jump that day. So <laughs> sent it straight in like a cocky little bastard and uh, double flips. And um, actually just ended up going way too deep. So I like kind of over-rotated because I'd overshot the landing, landed on my back and um yeah, kind of broke it on the spot there. And then uh, all the craziness instantly flew away, actually. Um, well, it kind of hadn't yet, because I thought I was just winded really bad. And they, they took me into the hospital um, on like a quad bike. You could to, walk to and of, stuff. Like it wasn't, was it scary on the ground? I couldn't walk. But I didn't, it didn't really cross my mind that I broke my back. It was just like, oh my God, this is the worst winding ever. Because I basically just landed on my butt. Like on your and, tailbone. Uh, 
just flat on my ass, sat down. I did like two two backflips into a sort of manual and then just landed on my ass, um, but from pretty high up. And the, the force of the backward spin too sort of multiplied everything. Um, so yeah, they carted me down off to sort of the hospital. And uh, the, the, my Fox sponsor at the time, um, I think it was John Oldale, um, if anyone knows him in the scene, I think he's Marin team manager now. He was like, yeah, yeah. I'll come pick you up from the uh, from the hospital. Then you don't have to. Then you don't have to pay the bills. We'll sneak you out the back door. I was <laughs> like, yeah, cool. So I went in there and I was like in the hospital bed and could see him outside. And then um, he like came in, like gave me the signal, like yeah, yeah, quick, run out. And I took like one step off the bed and instantly knew then was like, oh, okay, wrong. that's that's wrong. Yeah, that's more than just a winding. So I was like, okay, dude, yeah, I'm gonna have to stay here. You you get out of here quick and. Um, and yeah, I got an x-ray and I'd compressed my T8 and T12 vertebrae, which is sort of a third of the way up your back. It's near towards the bottom. Um, yeah, just compressed it. And from that moment, then I got super worried. I was like, oh my God, I'm such a dick. Like, actually, this is my this is my body. I've only got one. Like, it was just a stupid couple grand. Like, obviously, that would have been amazing. But the life goes on and, and from then onwards I, I definitely looked at stuff a little bit differently I think as you get older you, you, you calm down but that one moment sort of yeah I don't know made me at least 50 to 100 percent more um more more sort of cautious was that full-on yeah like the slap in the face wake-up call it's crazy how you have slap to go face, through yeah. you have to go through experiences because if I had seen you and I was like I see what's going to happen. He's going to be cocky and he's going to have a big crash. Even if I told you that, you'd be like, great story, I'll see you at the bar. You, you're not going to listen. <laughs> Huge cool story, yeah, You're exactly. not going to listen until you're ready to listen, you know, and that's in like all aspects of life. It, you can mm. learn a lot from other people, but some things you just have to make the mistakes, go through, try learn from others, but sometimes you just got to get slapped in the face like that and, yeah, you and you're lucky you mistakes. weren't hurt worse, yeah. And weirdly, like genuinely... If you said, like, you can rewind time and do it, I'd probably just do it again because, like, I, I guess I needed that. So, oh, I think just go for it. And, and, like, I don't know, usually it works out, doesn't it? Sometimes it doesn't. But then you need to work out when to go for it and when not to. Well, that's the fine line that I guess you're learning. And you will make mistakes pushing the limits and, with these jumps yeah. and stuff like that. Definitely. And it actually led to me le um, meeting my, my now wife. Well, there Amy. you go. There's, there's the full back. circle, the serendipity of life, isn't it? Yeah, so it's funny old things. Why? Because uh, you had time to date or something well, like slow she, down. Well, she at the time was the commentator for uh, the MXGP World Championship and um, because I was in a back brace. Um, and um, my good sponsors, Monster Energy, sponsored the motocross. So they were like, oh, we've got some uh, some VIP tickets if, if you'd like. They felt a bit sorry for me, I think. So, yeah, they sent me up to there and, and I met her there. And um, and now we're married. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, and she's doing Moto GP on road now. Moto GP on road. Amy is. Yeah, she's actually in Portugal right now. That's why the house is a is a is a pigsty right now. Yeah, you can look that up. So his his wife helps doing the presenting and and well, I guess it's presenting. It's not. I guess it's not the it's not the live commentary. She does all the presenting for the videos and interviews and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, a bit of pit lane reporting that's and so stuff cool. like that. Yeah, I'm so jealous. She she gets to go to all the MotoGP races, which I love MotoGP and I love Formula One as well. So yeah, I'm always always jealous when she goes off to the races. I know how good is how good is it for Formula One the the um, Drive to Survive or whatever the Netflix show is. 
Yeah, absolutely love that. It's like brilliant, isn't it? And that that again shows all the pressure and stuff that really comes, yes. which makes the sport so much more exciting because you get a bit of an insight into how much work goes into it and how much is on the line that you, you just kind of don't really think about when you just watch, if you just watch the race or if you watch a slope style contest. Um, we're a bit different because we've been there and done that. And we know that if you mess up, your whole life can go down the toilet. Like you might not be able to pay pay your rent next year. You might not have any sponsors next year. But that um, that drive to survive really shows you how cutthroat it actually is, isn't it? And and that a few little mistakes and and you're gone. Like and, and it's a lot of pressure riding on every decision that you make. Which yeah, you don't you don't ever think about. Which I think that's why people like that show so much. Maybe they should make some kind of a downhill one, shouldn't I, they? Yeah, yeah. I'd I'd love to be involved. I think um, on. Uh... On a smaller scale, I'm not. I, well, it is. It's the. It is the F1 of bicycles because it's the fastest you can ride a bicycle down the hill. Is downhill. I think downhill is the F1 of bicycling. Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah, not because bias that I used to do downhill. I just think okay, it is. And then cross country is like the fastest you can push your body. Is cross country. Then free ride and what do is like the biggest you can send it. Rampage, all these dark fests, things like that. But yeah, when I watch it, it's eerie. I'm like, okay, we're not on that level. Like it's not. 40 million dollar paycheck but it like in your world it's a lot of a paycheck and it's like shit i just got a flat tire and it wasn't my fault but if i don't perform the next one i'm in a two-year contract and who knows what the the marketing guys say like the pressure's the same that the dollar figure is different but those drivers aren't thinking about the money when in the car and neither is a downer or a slow guy so it's all relative isn't it it's a lot of money for you and even if it's not a lot of money for you like in the early days you you still well, even in even if you do get paid big money i don't know who does and who doesn't but you you don't do it for the money actually do you? that's kind of a nice bonus i imagine but you do it because you want to win because yeah you if you if you've made it that far then you're super competitive and you want to win and that's the only thing that's going to get you to there if you just want money you're never going to make it as a as a professional mountain biker and maybe yeah. you shouldn't even try if that's what you're doing it for but you do it to improve yourself and and do some challenges yourself don't you and overcome them isn't that that's like in life if you're just chasing the money like your job's gonna you're gonna get burnt out it's gonna suck like you need to find some sort of enjoyment fulfillment something to 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 better yourself if in a perfect world it's not for everyone but maybe that's why people aspire because i would have raced down for free i did race down for free for so many years i i want to i want to race in america i wasn't getting paid a cent basically but i didn't give a shit like i wanted to do it and you were throwing backflips and probably learned doubles really not making any money and you could have got hurt but no you, but the thought was never cool, really yeah. to make money it was to win the contest and then i'd always remember like i'd be so excited if i got on the podium and then they'd come and bring that check and i'd be like oh my god i forgot you get money as well if you do yeah, yeah. like i got wires even there which is such the best way to be i think you almost can't compete against someone like that because they're always going to try harder than you because it's not just for it's not just for money it's for sort of for personal reasons but that's a good so I mean you must get these messages and I get them and people ask me and I don't know with social media so people are like how do I get sponsored can you give me the contact to a certain bike brand and I'm like but <laughs> wouldn't a better question be how do I get faster or hey I'm really battling with this tail whip I know you've learned them like where do you start like because the goal would in theory should be getting better and then the byproduct will be sponsors or money, what we spoke about it. And, and you've just like alluded to that. The reason these guys just want to drive a car fast in F1, like that's their passion. 
you wanted to progress the sport. Yeah, you can you can see it's quite clear that mountain biking, especially, no one really does it. Okay, no, there's a couple guys that do it for some money. You can you can spot those guys a mile off, can't you? Let's be honest. Like, but there's not many top level mountain bikers with super fancy clothes, super fancy cars, super fancy like everything. Like we just kind of wear hoodies and t-shirts and hats, and we just play in the woods, don't we? So it's sort of <laughs> you, you can tell, like obviously. <laughs> like none of us really like that stuff although but well some guys do like that but yeah like um i get so many messages like you said i'm sure you do too is just how do i get sponsored and like almost that's straight off the bat the wrong attitude almost isn't it it's like you said it's how can i get better or how can i do this a sponsorship is a two-way street isn't it like yeah. someone will sponsor you and find you if if they want to work with you, if they think that you'll do a good job in promoting their bikes, like that's what I always tell everyone, like just keep doing the events. What do you love? If you love racing, do that. If you love doing tricks, go to some dirt jump contests, do some Instagram videos and stuff like that and, and keep doing it the way, just the way you want to do it. Don't worry about what everyone else thinks. And then if sponsors like what you're doing, then, then that's the perfect way. And that's how you can make a career from it. But if you start changing your style to, to what you think sponsors might like like maybe you can do that a little bit but it's not going to last very long i don't think so my advice to anyone that, that wants to get sponsored or wants to make a career out of biking yeah there's a few ways to do it but you gotta you just gotta do what you love otherwise you won't last more than a couple of years will you so many people come and go don't they and you can tell those guys weren't in it for the right reasons but the guys who truly truly love it are around for years aren't they and, and those are the ones who, who you can really look up to yeah, that's such sound advice, and and I and I hope there are listeners that are aspiring to be top level uh, mountain bikers, and I think yeah, I recommend it. It's really good. Hey, you recommend? I recommend it as a job. Yeah, it's but really let's good. Yeah, let's, let's break it down some more because that's great advice, right? So, but what I also see sometimes is people battling to decide, and I know there are riders that do everything. So your Kate Edwards and things like that, but or or maybe Brendan is a good example. Like, he kind of does everything now. He's the free racer, and he can do Rampage, he can do World Cups. But he did start as a downhill racer and became really good at that and made a name in that. Sam Reynolds, you, became a dirt jumper, then a high-level slope styler that then was able to transition to, you know, big mountain. So if you really want to give, give it a go, I would recommend trying to be, to be really good at, at some genre of riding. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, well, that's what I meant by stay true to what you like. And there's a few ways where you can sort of improve and you can impress sponsors. But like Brendan, you say he was a World Cup downhill race. Well, it still is a World Cup downhill racer. And he always was. And that's what made him famous because that's what he did the best. But he loved doing dirt jumps. He loved doing backflips. That whole time, just Instagram wasn't really about. So I think you didn't see the backside of him as well. And same with, yeah, with me. It's kind of, all I ever wanted to do was big, dig jumps and, and make bigger jumps. And, and then I always want to do that. But I know now that there, there has to be a certain level of business to go with it because diggers and big jumps and big events cost big money. And, but like Darkfest is still in a selfish way, just me trying to make the biggest jumps I can make. But sadly, I, I can't afford to, to fuel up and rent diggers and rent all this land. So I have to make it into a bit of a business um, by making it into an event, but there's, there's still the passion is still there at the bottom, and it's not for 
money or anything like that. It is still because I want to build the biggest jumps and I want to see what's possible. And sort of for my for myself, that was always the challenge. And now we just seem to sort of overtaken everyone else. But now we we keep going. I still just want to make bigger jumps for myself and for my friends. Yeah, and the key there is you're able to jump them because of your hard work, dedication, skill, and experience, and years and years of riding. I mean, without that, there is no dark face. And then comes wanting to do it, and then comes, okay, I need someone to pay for all this because it's not going to happen. But yeah, it sounds like, I mean, you, you'd go down there even if there wasn't a camera in sight. Oh, exactly. If it was free, if diggers were free, I'd go and dig those jumps for, for my own fun. Yeah, that which... which um yeah hopefully i'll always want to do that's amazing so what was it like so after that accident coming back from that is horrific i'm sure that's a tough time and i think not a lot of people see all the shit times of a professional athlete and then you get to the point that you're doing well at slope style but it just it clearly becomes what more pressure you're not having a good time you're not kind of staying true to yourself what's it like deciding to walk away from slope style when that was your identity before like these big face series and stuff like even though i'm sure you were riding them on the side i don't know the exact timeline but you had to walk um, away from slope style that your sponsors were paying you for and like you know you were doing pretty well back then as well well yeah slope style like you didn't you got sponsors but slope style you could well back when i did you couldn't really get paid that well from sponsors so you had to do well because the prize money was kind of how you made your money actually um so that kind of so after 2012 um, I had a really good year in 2012 and then started to rebuild in sort of 2013. And then back 14 and 15 is when I really sort of cracked um, or the algorithm, want for a better word, up to like the perfect sort of level between risky enough tricks, but ones that I knew I could do consistently and, and do like a good run. Because, yeah, I knew a lot of people would do better tricks, but they'd probably blow out. And then a lot of guys would do a bit safer, but I could do a couple of bit bit riskier tricks and beat them. So yeah, 2015 was probably my actual best year, quite a few years after. And um, 2016, the actual reason why I kind of stepped away from slope style, it was Rotorua at that Crankworx course, which was amazing. And I remember just sort of going there and I did actually exactly the same run in 2016 as I did in 2015. And I kind of was like, oh, that was cool. At the end of the run, it was like a really good run. I was really happy with it. And it got sort of, I don't know, I think it was ninth place. And I was kind of like, "Mm, okay, I just did the same thing I did a year ago. And I'm not that excited about it. So why should I continue? I've gone to the same, the same sort of town, same cities, done the same events for like seven, eight years now. And uh, I think the prize money for ninth place was certainly not enough to cover my flight to New Zealand. So I was kind of looking at it like, well, hmm. What am I really doing here? Actually, I've lost that spark for um, for for being excited about that run, and the money sort of doesn't even pay for it. So actually, I think I'll try something else. And that was just at the time when when the fest series was was, was coming in. Um, Macken had made Hillbilly Huckfest in Norway, and I went to that. I think it was 2015 or 16, and I was like, whoa, big downhill bikes mean you can make the jump so much bigger. And I was like, okay, that's actually. Once I've had a taste, once I've had a taste of that, I was like, okay, this is this is what I want to do. Because, like I said, it all came from the kind of moto guys, and that was one step closer to the kind of moto cool tricks that are the and the the massive jumps that those guys used to ride that I always inspired to be. And that was like the the ticket to to maybe have some airtime like those guys. So I kind of stepped away at that point, 
And I'd always said to myself, when I don't enjoy competing anymore, then I won't. And, um, and that was exactly that moment when I was like, okay, now's the time. I was, it was quite a hard decision to make because like, um, I didn't really get much, too much sponsor money. And yeah, like I said, the, the, the money came from the prizes and that was sort of drying up a little bit. And it's a real crisis as a sportsman where if, if for the last eight years, all you'd thought about was doing better and better. And, and I'm sure, you know, with downhill, once when your results are getting better and better, life couldn't be couldn't be better like you you do nothing else and then as soon as the results start to go the other way that's when you really start having a bad time don't you and you have to really stay strong to be mm. like okay no, i still enjoy so this hard. i'm still going to keep doing this and because you know it's only going to get worse and worse so that's what i was kind of thinking i was like right everyone else is has it was me eight years ago where they're not not afraid of killing themselves that they, they don't care like the and they're loving it way harder than i am so i, I can't compete with this anymore so i took a step back um, and yeah, sort of at the same time as when Fest Series started happening and I was just like, wow, this is, this is actually what I really want to do. And, um, yeah, it kind of flowed in through to that. And, um, that was when me and Macduff had made Pure Darkness. So we were still, we were pushing it, but in different ways, like on just making the jumps bigger and bigger. And, um, yeah, we, we sort of teamed up with Fest Series and realized, hey, we both, guys, we both do the same thing. We'd both just want to make massive jumps and, and have a good week and make a cool video and, and push the limit. So let's 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 join forces almost. And that's exactly how Dark Fest was made. A mix between me and Macduff, which was the Pure Darkness video series, and then the Fest series. So yeah, Pure Darkness or Dark Fest was born. And um, we haven't looked back yet. Yeah, it's like it kinda had a plan, but it kinda didn't. And you were just sticking true to what you wanted to do. That's 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 super cool. And it also coincided with probably one of your highlights, I guess, in your career was and coming from the motocross background was you won best trick at Rampage. And I'm sure most oh, listeners yeah. know of Rampages. That is epic. We'll dig up that photo of the Superman over that big canyon gap, right? Yeah, I kind of re didn't really. So the only reason I went to Rampage was because at that time it was in the FMB World Tour and uh, it was what was called a diamond event. And there was only two of those. It was Crankworks um, Whistler was a diamond event. So yeah. it had the most points. It was above a gold. Uh, diamond was above a gold. So you got the most points for that for the FMB World Tour. And Rampage was the other diamond event. And if you're in the top 10 of the World Tour, you got an invite to Rampage. And I was like, okay, I'm doing really well. Like I'm in sort of sixth or seventh place or something for the world tour so if i go to rampage i can get up into a top five and that would be beyond my wildest dreams of, of being top five in the world tour kind of so i was like why not i'll, I'll go out there and try it out uh, kind of with that little pressure and that attitude actually so i didn't really think much of it and went there and was like oh yeah it's like that's oh, pretty cool and stuff it's pretty gnarly but i jumped loose fast and and kind of and things like that not too long before so the canyon gap was actually smaller than loose fest so I actually just got there and was like, oh, wicked, there's a massive jump across the canyon that I was riding like a few months ago. I'm just going to I'm just going to make my line go into that. And then I did some Superman's at Loose Fest. So I'm just going to do one on that. And that would be and that would be pretty cool. And um, yeah, had no idea at the time. It turned out to be a really good run. And we had an amazing time digging it. And, and, and yeah, it was that was pretty stressful, actually, but not not too bad i just like i said was there to make points i wasn't really that interested in the rampage result uh, but i ended up getting top 10 i think i got eighth or ninth and then yeah when, when they read out they, they sort of do the results at the bottom they were like oh and the and the best trick i wasn't even listening because we, we didn't even we didn't even care like me and the boys were just sort of celebrating at the bottom i can literally remember it like it was yesterday and they were like oh for a big superman on the canyon i was like 
oh, like my friend Ben was like, dude, you did the Superman. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, it's Sam Reynolds. I was like, oh my God, I had to run up there. And yeah, I was so excited, came out of nowhere. And, and yeah, like I said, didn't really know how much of a big deal it was at the time. And then that really, I think that not launched my career, but that really took me a lot more mainstream. Yeah, and then a lot did, more huh? people, especially from America, started knowing who I was and, and, and sort of coming up like, oh, hey, well done at Rampage and stuff. And, and that was really cool. Yeah, but it's kind of not came out of accident. But yeah, it wasn't really part of the plan. Did you spend all the money in Vegas at the after party of the check? I did spend For sh- a little bit of money <laughs> in Vegas afterwards, yeah. <laughs> Do you gamble at yeah. all? I, I did gambling. that time. Yeah, I, I didn't really like it after that. I don't um, get on with it that much. but they were, they were, they were, So we had that big, we went to the Monster Cup, which is that big motocross um, event where they win a million dollars if they win. And that was on at the same weekend. So we obviously went for that weekend. And um, went into the party, and it's in a casino, like the after party. So there were like all these famous um, motocross guys at the table that I was like, wow. And um, I know that Andre Villa, I was like a fellow monster guy, and he was there, and he's like, hey, Sam, come up and uh, have a spin with us on the table. And I was like, yeah, okay, I'll come and have a spin on the table. And got there, and there's all like, I don't know, quite famous guys. I think like Twitch was there, and uh, all these FMX guys I'd looked up to for years. And they were on the table, and I was like, cool. So what's like, what's the minimum? What's the bet? minimum? Yeah. And they were like, yeah, hundred dollars. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. Um, like shitting Just my one pants. For me, like, thank yeah, you. no problem. I'll. Uh, I'll put the hundred on there. I'll put it on red, I think. Spun it. It went whoop straight into black. Like, you know, and they poke it down the hole. And I was just like, oh, that's so much money for me. And obviously these guys are just hundreds here, hundreds there. And there's a cash machine right next to the table. And so I was like, oh, damn. And they were all like, oh, damn. <laughs> beginner, like bad luck, beginner. Eh? And I was like, yeah, yeah. Won't happen again, though. So went and got another hundred at the ATM, came straight back. And I was like, yeah, red. It's not going to happen twice, is it? And of course it did. So whoop, it went straight down. And I was just like, right. That's me out. I don't care about looking cool. I don't have any more hundreds to waste. And relates like the crappiest odds in the casino, apparently. Yeah, it could be. No, honestly, I I think statistically it is, but anyone can uh, prove me wrong and send me a DM. But I think it's actually the crappiest odds. But it's kind of the funnest game because that ball's going round and it's like, come on. Yeah, it's amazing actually, isn't it? Yeah, and and just simple really. If you sort of if you blasted drunk after after rampage in Vegas, you just like it's quite easy to understand. And I understand that I lost big, so I left there <laughs> again with my tail between my legs. Hey, you know highs and lows of the sport. You got you know but you got to win some, memories. lose some. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> dude. But there's uh, there clearly are some perks to mountain biking, and and we spoke about the highs and lows. And I never, I don't think I've got like a full story of, you know, how was it? I mean, you go back to Rampage, maybe you weren't that excited on going back. And you're one of the few that kind of stood up for yourself and said, you know what, I'm not comfortable here. This isn't for me. And you didn't take the start. And like, I know a lot of people are like, oh, he's there. And, and I'm sure there were some haters. And I was at home going, I respect that. To be out there yeah. and be true to yourself and not like, oh, my sponsors are going to be pissed. And, you know, like, this is my identity, how... You know, because if you push yourself through like a really uncomfortable position, you could get hurt and life's longer than one rampage run. Yeah, completely. Yeah, you're right. I, I kind of forgot about that a little bit. But yeah, so then after the highs of that one, I obviously got an invite back to the next year after getting top 10. That, that's sort of how it works. You get an automatic invite back uh, regardless. So I was like, yeah, of course, like 
I went first time, didn't know what I was doing and got a top 10. So, so next time I'm going to go and, and I know what the judges are looking for. I know how it works. I'm going to, I'm going to go there and had some high hopes. And uh, we actually spent, yeah, the whole two weeks of building the, this really good line. And there was just one sort of real horrible bit at the top. Um, actually, obviously, like building rampages is, is quite a super tough week. Like, like, like Dark Fest too, you, you build from six in the morning till, till eight at night all day long because you just can't give up any advantage to any other team. And any, every team builds that long. So if your line's not as good as theirs, it just means you're either not going to do well or it's not safe enough. So you have to keep, keep digging. And it's super tough mentally as well because you have to try all these massive jumps that you've never, you don't know if they're going to work because you're the only person that's ever going to ride it. And then the consequences off each side are absolutely massive. Like I know everyone says it, but you, you just can't understand until you've been there how stupid yeah. it actually is. You can slip off a rock and you can die 100% if you fall off some spots. And there was one spot it. where there was a bit where we came down and if you if you you slipped your pedal, that it happens one in a million, but still one in a million can still happen. So if you slipped your pedal there, you'd go off down the side and you, you wouldn't touch the ground for 200 feet and you'd die like it's simple as that. So I, I remember asking, I don't want to name too many names, but I remember asking one of the senior guys like, hey, there were a few ski-like, nets around and i was like hey have you got any more ski nets like could we put one down there like it would really put my mind at ease for the, for this run like I, i'm sure i'm not going to go down there but like if worst i did case, then, yeah worst case it, it can happen like actually a few guys got kind of close to it and um and i remember he said like uh yeah we got a few more but they're about two hours drive away and i remember just thinking at that point like right okay so you're not going to drive four hours round trip for like something that i've asked like i don't know there's what 15 riders and and i don't know i just asked quite nicely like if it was possible and he kind of just told me like no no one could be bothered to go and get that so at that moment i was like fuck this actually like looking around like looking at the cameraman looking at the helicopter pilot looking at the guy setting up the tent everyone's being paid to be there except the riders yeah you get paid obviously if you do well and it's at that moment i was just like actually this is so so wrong like i'm up here building for two weeks paid for my friends to come over here to also build for me for two weeks and uh, all i asked for is a bit of safety and they and they sort of like just said nah you'd be fine and i was kind of like nah screw this i'm, I'm not doing this anymore so I, that was actually the hardest um probably the hardest decision of my life to to pull out then because obviously I wanted to do it but once that was in my head like I was kind of super against it and then you can't couldn't really I couldn't really break back through that so yeah a couple of days later I decided to 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 announce that I wasn't gonna wasn't gonna drop in and told all those guys and and luckily enough I, I spoke to to Fab Kuss who's my team manager and sponsor and and because I was super scared like you said like to just not drop in is, is not very free ride or not very cool, is it? Like, you, well, not, you get not what because... uh, you guys promote, yeah, but exactly, it's, it's yeah, good you're supposed you to be fearless up. and crazy. And I was kind of like, oh no, this is gonna make me look so lame. And he, he sponsors me to be the crazy guy on the team, like, shit, like, he's gonna, I don't know, I'm gonna be in trouble or something, like, all the pressure on my head. But I called him and he was like, mate, like, he came the year before and he's like, no, it's, it's the stupidest thing I've ever seen. Like, if you don't want to ride, then I completely support you until the end and it's not going to change anything with your sponsorship and so i was like oh that's amazing instantly felt better about it and then yeah it was weird there were big pink bite articles about it and i was kind of like oh i didn't really want to read the comments because i thought everyone was going to be like oh yeah 
yeah, he's just scared. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah that guy's lame. Whatever. He's not a not a free rider. Or he's no good. Like, but then I actually did eventually read the comments, and it was overwhelmingly like, yeah, they they, they supported me, which was amazing, and all my sponsors did too. And and so yeah, it was a in the end, it turned out to be a good decision. I, I wasn't feeling it, so so I didn't want to go for it. And uh, but yeah, but yeah, I did feel did have a couple of sleepless nights, weirdly thinking about just not riding as well as thinking about riding. Yeah, but yeah, was, um, I, I respect that so much, Sam. And I think it, it leads me to a question I did want to ask you. But at the same time, I mean, if it's not safe and it could be made safer, I, I wish they would take that to heart. And I don't know if they've changed it now, but event like that, you're right. The reason you're there is because the riders dig for weeks. A lot of them in, incur a lot of costs. And then they don't even get like an appearance fee. Like, yeah, you get yeah, prize I think money it has changed the top, now. I whatever. think you get an appearance fee now. Yeah, but I think it, so. But honest, half of them use it for Europe, their builders. Exactly. It, it pays for your builder's flights to get like, there and hotel. You and not have much money in your pocket this. afterwards for risking your life so that the viewership is huge. And I, I appreciate Red Bull. I appreciate everyone that gets these things. Because it's mainstream now, right? It's great. So the riders oh, get, get sponsorship the money. Yeah. There's a knock-on effect. But back to the point, like... What would you change in the industry? I've heard you say like sometimes the riders are not getting looked after as much as some other people that are benefiting from certain things. Of course, you get sponsors and it it helps, but at the same time, like at an event and you're like the only guy not getting paid. Yeah, yeah. When there's like officials turning up in like brand new Ford Raptors and stuff, and we were kind of digging up there all day, looking down like, hmm, something doesn't seem quite right here. But um, that's exactly why we we took it under, onto our own hands. And uh, same with Darkfest. That's that's what I use that sort of fire to help organize Darkfest with me. So if I ever think like, if anyone would ever say, hey, I'm not so sure about this jump, then that's kind of why I like to ride every jump before all the other riders have arrived so i can show them hey guys look it's safe you can follow me do this speed and it should be fine and if anyone ever had a safety concern or if they wanted to make the event a bit different or something then uh, then then I'd, I'd try my best to listen and to to change it because i'll always remember that moment when i felt like i was being used and so yeah i never want to do that as a kind of event organizer now um the, the festa series slogan is kind of yeah four riders Actually, it's by riders for riders. So yeah, we 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 try and stick to that, and it's for reasons like that that um, that we started the fest in the first place. We didn't like the the courses. We thought we could do a better job, and we we thought we could do a better job to look after the riders as well. And 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 hopefully everyone can see that as well, and they they enjoy watching the fest series as well, and they can see the true passion that's behind it. It's not like a it's not a money making thing. It's a it's a passion thing. Yeah, there's a genuine stoke and camaraderie between the riders when you help a rider get through a jump he might be struggling with. And, and I see, yeah, you guys build the jump safe, obviously. You get through. But I do see where you're like, hey, let's you know, just watch my speed, come with me. It's really cool to see. And I think the sport does need there's more of that. And I think we all need to work together. The same conversation happens in downhill when there's a safety issue and it's like, I've been told, oh, well, other people can get through it or other people got over the jump. I said, that's not the point. I've noticed yeah. I think it'll be dangerous at race pace and someone might crash. I've noticed it, so hopefully it's not me. And then lo and behold, someone might crash or whatever. And I'm like, ah, I think this could have been avoided. I just think if we all work together more, can avoid some of the safety issues as well as have more of a voice because everyone's in it together to make it better. Like if the riders are more happy, they ride better they ride better tv looks better and and maybe that kind of 
you know, will progress the sport even more. Like you guys. You guys are comfortable, you ride bigger jumps, and it goes from there. Yeah, it comes back to what you said earlier. Like, it takes someone to crash and to learn the lesson properly and hard in front of everyone to make the changes, really. And I think maybe we should, uh, yeah, think a little bit more into the future and try and prevent the problems rather than change it after the problems happened. Yeah, I appreciate that. And is there anything, I mean, we've spoken about what we would like to change. Is there anything, if you could change in the industry, you would or where you see it going? Um, <laughs> I don't know. I'm quite sort of in my own little bubble, to be honest. Like, I just want to, as long as I can keep making awesome jumps and um, keep uh, entertaining people as well. With, with the videos and, and Instagram and, and the events. And, and I love when riders come and they ride Dark Fest or whatever, or they ride something that I've built and they're like, that was amazing. Like when you came and the, the stoke that you, you had and to know that I had a bit of a part in that by building it is, is super rewarding for me these days. And um, I just want to keep going like that, really. I think I'm going to hopefully keep doing Dark Fest, keep building bigger jumps, keep, um, keep learning new tricks i don't know yeah i'm, I'm not competing anymore but i still uh, still got a few tricks i want to learn that's for sure well 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 that's awesome so on that note you've got a, a question have you got any someone asked it here i've got some uh, listener questions if you will maybe we'll jump into some of those now uh, okay let's there, do it there was a question to say any of these slope style tricks you'd want to land to dirt I guess I guess he might be referring to. So I made a video last week um, learning one of my dream tricks, which is a Superman seat grab backflip, uh, which has always eluded like eluded me over the years. I've, I've never been able to learn it. But uh, I went to my good buddy Matt Jones airbag, which is an amazing training tool, which we never used to have. And um, yeah, so I, I sent myself on that for. I went back a couple of days in a row to. To, la to learn that trick and uh yeah definitely i've landed now on the airbag but that's definitely one of my all-time dream tricks again from motocross that was like one of the biggest freestyle motocross tricks when i was watching the master of dirt shows and uh, it still is a really big trick in fmx i've always wanted to do it and yeah i definitely plan to to take that to dirt um sometime soon that's one of my one of my all-time dreams well well there you go so thanks to last night that was on instagram uh, what is Sam calling his back garden, or has he named it yet? And I must tell you not to forget the name he gave you from Douglas Henderson on Instagram. So clearly you've had a chirp on one of your YouTube videos or Instagram. Had quite a few suggestions for the garden, yeah. But to be honest, I quite like it just being called the garden. It's sort of, you, you can't really sort of put too much pressure on it. If if it's going to be called something, it's people are going to start calling it, but I just call it the garden. And a lot of people have come up with some cool ideas like the Nard and, and, and stuff like that. I think that might have been his suggestion. I can't remember. I'm sorry. But yeah, there's a few good ones, but I just like to call it the garden. Nice. Uh, another one. How do you commit to something you want to get better at? I guess we've spoken a bit about that, but his Instagram name is hilarious. Just your average sloth. So he's trying... <laughs> Just your average sloth. Well, yeah. sadly, the advice kind of I'd give is that you have to try really, really hard and really almost get obsessed. So being a sloth maybe might not be too helpful. Um, but if if you really love something and you're passionate about it, you don't really need to try that hard to, to be obsessed by it and to, and to improve. So if you find something you really love, just keep cracking on and, uh, and eventually you'll, you'll master it. 
and I think start small. Get get something that you know you can do or a little bit outside your comfort zone. Nail that 10, 20 times so you barely have to think about it. And then you progress to the bigger one. So and Absolutely. Then, and then once you do that, you change it to just above your average sloth. That's it. Inspired yeah. to be that. Yeah, thanks for that. And then... Uh, <laughs> and well, then the ultimate sloth. <laughs> the ult- yeah, the ultimate <laughs> Or maybe that's uh, what was your worst slot. crash and how did it happen from Nate Dog MTB? I like the name, but we have covered that. So if you didn't listen to Yeah, my to two the... crashes are the double backflip where I broke my back and then the Dark Fest crash where I broke my wrist. Um, there's obviously been many, many in between but um, and many painful ones too. Um, but those are the ones that really stand out that put me out for, for a good couple months and really made me um, think about my actions. <laughs> think about my actions. Speaking of your actions, uh, I've got a few quick-fire questions if we can. We handled the one, the buggy on the ice. Um, (laughs) Is getting... Okay, first question. Is it true that you won Young Poet of the Year in your school days? That is actually true, yes. I wrote a lovely poem. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this is how naughty I was not at school. So I actually... We were supposed to be doing something in English class, writing a, writing a poem or something. But I wrote a poem instead of doing the work. And he came around like, the teacher was like, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, oops, I, I was writing a poem, not doing the work. And he read it and he was like, oh, this is actually really good. Like, would you like to finish this poem off? And uh, yeah, I did. And then he entered it in and it, and it won like the Young Poetry, um, <laughs> Young Poet of the Year Award, National Young Poet of the Year Award. And um there you yeah, go, something real. you didn't know about Sam Reynolds, the rock and roll free rider. <laughs> he has a little bit of a soft spot for poems. Is that what inspired you to getting a poem about poo? And you heard me correctly. A poem yeah. about poo published in Dirt magazine. Is that one of your proudest yeah. moments? Yeah, that is another very proud moment. I can't take all the credit for that. That was um, that was me and Ollie Wilkins wrote that one together. It's called The Adventure Poo Poem. And yeah, it was weirdly published in Dirt magazine. We did like a road trip. <laughs> yeah, the, the drive was so long, we wrote a poem about doing adventure poos, which just means sort of doing poos in them. Um, in horrible places, not in the toilet. And yeah, we wrote a poem about it because we were so childish and thought it was funny. And then Dirt were also childish and thought it was funny and they put it in the magazine. Uh, before before we run, you have got a passion for cars. What's your what's your your fun car now, and then what's your ultimate? No money, no object. Oh, there's way too many. Like this podcast could double in length right now. <laughs> yeah, someone um, said, ask him about cars. Ask him about cars. I'm like, I don't think we yeah, have time I've for that. Always like them. Well, uh, so um, I at the moment have an MX-5 Turbo, like a track car. And uh, it doesn't sound very cool. And I always thought they weren't very cool. But actually, they're just the best because you can, um, all parts are so cheap and you can just track day over and over again. And it's got, yeah, like a good turbo in there, forged engine, big brakes. And um, yeah, you can go to a track day and, and embarrass some, some super expensive cars, which is, which is a great pastime, um, which I enjoy doing very much. And uh, a dream car. Um, I'd really like a, a Lotus 430 Cup, it's called, which is like a, an ultimate track car or a Porsche GT3 RS if we're really talking big money. But um, right now I'm just in the sort of MX-5 sort of price range and uh, enjoying it very much. MX-5 MX and a hoodie and happy as Larry. MX-5 hoodie and jumps in my garden. And yeah, I don't need anything else for the next 20 years, hopefully. 
Um, no, Sam, I appreciate your time and your openness, and uh, I hope people don't judge us too much. But you know, yeah, sorry if it's a bit shit happens when you're young. People actually listen to it. How do you, you get a lot of listeners? I guess, don't you? I, I I don't know. I don't know what a lot is, but I think after this uh, one, maybe we'll go viral. <laughs> Especially with the Dark Fest announcement. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I can't wait to blow the blow the horn on that. But yeah. guys, well, hopefully I'll see you in real life in a couple of weeks. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent. And uh, for the guys out there, you follow Sam on your YouTube. You're active on that, and Instagram is anywhere else. Um, Facebook too, if anyone still does that. Um, I sometimes do, but yeah, main ones are Instagram and uh, and YouTube. Actually, I quite like making the the longer form videos and and having fun with that. Well, awesome. Thanks. I think you've been uh, inspiration as well as uh, given us a, a proper Maybe. laugh. But uh, <laughs> yeah, thanks. I hope to do this again sometime, maybe in person, as you suggested. And uh, hopefully we see you soon at Darkfest. Yeah, nice one. Thanks, Andy. Look forward to it very much. And uh, thanks for having me on. And one last thing before you guys go. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend. Make sure you subscribe. Leave us hopefully a five-star rating and review. I read all those reviews. It's awesome getting them. If you've got any feedback, you want to send me a message, I get all those messages. I try to respond to them all. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun journey so far. So until the next one, stay well. <laughs>